0: morning, church. I just threw a curveball on our team, as you can see them scrambling. Um, I just felt it in my spirit that I didn't want to miss a moment, Um, that sometimes when we do our transitions and we jump to a video announcement, the tone, and what maybe the Lord is trying to do, we can lose sight of that. So um, I I want to say this before we get into God's word this morning. Um, I'm in no rush. I'm literally going to be in no rush today. Normally we have a time limit on how long we preach and all this kind of stuff, but in light of the stuff that we're facing, we can't rush through certain things. And, and I do believe that right now, this is a season for us as a church to lament to grieve with those who grieve, to mourn with those who mourn, but not without hope. Um, And so before we get into the message this morning, I wanted to spend some time praying with each other. And I'm going to guide us through a passage of scripture that just really just got heavy on my heart. Um, And I'm going to ask the tech team at some point when I start praying to put a slide up, because I quite frankly don't want you staring at me while I pray, because I want to encourage you to pray with. And even if you're not the praying type, I want to encourage you to let the words speak to you. And so one of the things I'm going to ask um, those who are in this room um, here at Austin Oaks Church, we're going to get on our knees, and we're going to pray. And um, and I want to encourage you at home, wherever you're at, to pray, because Folks, listen, we're not playing church, right? We're, we're dealing with the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about God's heart and who he is, and that also is going to reflect on how he sees people. And so even though we're not all together and we don't get to do this together, we can do this in spirit together. So I want to pray because, quite frankly, that's where I need to be. Um, And so, would you join me in prayer? Father, your word. Your word says that if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Lord, forgive us for being too haughty, for being too proud to humble ourselves. Forgive us, Father, for those of us who lead your church and were part of your church who have failed to remember our role and call in this life to be your ambassadors, to be your salt and light. And Lord, this is no longer just confined to America. This social unrest, this cultural pandemic is now across the world and it's been this way forever. But Lord, in this time, in this season, God, I pray that you would grab our hearts. Would you break our hearts? Would you... Get us to a place of lamenting and mourning because we also know that your mercies are new every morning. You're close to the brokenhearted and today we are broken. We're broken over sin and evil. Father, we call, we cry out to your mercy and we say, Lord, heal our land. I'm reminded of the story when your son Jesus was talking about how people need to eat of his flesh and drink his blood. And that teaching was really hard. And and the crowd left Jesus and he turned around to the disciples and he asked, will you two leave? And Peter, speaking on behalf, said, Lord, to whom else will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Lord, we declare that this morning. We have nowhere else to go. So we appeal to your mercy. Father, would you grab the heart of your church again? Your church is to be the ones who lead the way in reconciliation. Lord, would you first break our hearts in the church? May we not be ignorant enough to think that we are immune from sin. So Lord, I pray that your words are the words that are spoken this morning. Not just through my mouth, but through every other preacher, pastor, teacher. This world needs to hear hope. And hope is found in only one place. And that's at the cross. The empty tomb. Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. With a promise of coming back and making all things new. We appeal to you this morning, Lord. Would you move? Would you soften hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. I trust that um, the Lord is going to meet with you this morning, and uh, I want to let you know that um, this has been a very hard week, not just for me, but for (laughs) a lot, a lot of people, not just in America, all over the world. And uh, my heart has been heavy because I'm trying to, you know, pray and ask the Lord, like, what? What words can I give? What message can I give to your people, to the church today? And even those who necessarily aren't even part of the church, you might be just looking for hope, looking for answers like, Lord, what words can I give? And and I'm trying to navigate and discern my own heart and constantly getting barraged with all the media and all the different stories and the turmoil, the pain, the confusion. My mind was restless and I was feeling anxiety all week as I'm trying to figure out what can we be doing as a church Right, like, And then even going, well, maybe I'm failing as a pastor. What can I do as a pastor? And then, then I started to think about my own life as being a human being. It's like, what am I doing? My prayers this whole week, they felt confused. They felt heavy. They felt weary. They felt ineffective. But God has been gracious nonetheless. I've been trying so hard to find the right words. And, and, and as you guys know, and um, in all seriousness, you know I'm not a man to that's hard to find words. And a lot of times you guys are like, yeah, you talk way too much. And it's very true. I do. But this whole week, I felt like the words just wouldn't come. And so, and I'm thankful for that because this message this morning is going to be very raw. It's going to be very unpolished. And yet I believe it's going to be very pointed because it's going to reflect the heart and character of God and what that looks like for us as the church. My words I'm just going to say this right now, and you know this, my words will fall short. My words will be insufficient, but his word will never fall short. His word is all sufficient for all things, all scenarios, all situations, including what we're in right now. And I've been praying all week that God would use me, um, that he would use my mouth, my heart, my body to communicate his word as best as I can. And folks, right, there are so many voices, so many voices right now speaking out, crying out, demanding change. There's answers and demands for justice. And listen, quite frankly, that's right. Like protesting is, protesting evil in a righteous way is 100% right and good and effective. But the problem is there are so many things that are happening that it's like evil is taking advantage of an evil, and evil is begetting evil. And now what is the real issue that needs to be addressed is getting confused and muddled and put behind it. it was just We just don't know. And now we don't know if we can trust the media. We don't know what story we can trust. We know people are manipulating photography. You know, and it's just like we want to be sympathetic and mourn and comfort. And yet at the same time, we want to stand for truth and all the things. And a lot of times we just start to feel hopeless. And I keep asking myself, it's like, what word is sufficient? What voice is sufficient today in this moment that we can hear, that we can base hope and truth on? God's word. God's word is a reflection of his heart. Whose voice matters most? Where are the solutions going to come from, right? Where is our hope being placed for real change? Is it in systems? Is it going to be in government, in political reform? Is it going to be placed in an election? As far as I know, studying human history, it's proven one thing, that um, putting our hope in any human system will always be an exercise in futility. We're in a medical pandemic We are now in a deep cultural pandemic that is no longer just contained in America, but now it's all around the world. And and, and listen, these pandemics are the direct result of a forgotten and downplayed spiritual pandemic. These are the effects of a spiritual pandemic, forgetting and not caring who God is. And when I say that the spiritual pandemic is the real issue, I want you to hear this carefully. I am not in any way ignoring or suggesting that our cultural issues don't exist. I am in no way, shape, or form ignoring or downplaying the deep racism that exists. It does exist, and it's flat-out evil. In no way, shape, or form am I ignoring or suggesting that systemic issues that demand reform and justice should be ignored. Not at all. But to focus solely on that issue and to not talk about the spiritual issue is like putting the cart in front of the horse. We are where we're at because of the spiritual pandemic. Is there racism today? 100%. And it's evil. And it's completely wrong. And to not think that there isn't racism is complete ignorance. But why is there Racism. That's the question we we need to ask too. Where does it come from? Why is there racism? It's because there's evil. And where does evil come from? Right here. And in this moment, at home, wherever you're at, I want you to do that. Point to your own heart and recognize. Right here. Right here. There's evil in all of our hearts. There's racism, not because God created it, It's because we created it as human beings. God didn't create racism. Race is not even a biblical concept. In the Bible, you don't see races. You see ethnicities that are created in the image of God that all have the stamp of divinity on them, right? We all come from the same ancestors, Adam and Eve. We are truly one blood. There is only one race in the Bible, and that is the human race, racism is a social construct that we created as people you will not find that in scriptures you will not find that from God's perspective humans began to determine what race has value what race is more supreme based upon arbitrary and artificial distinctions not real distinctions but artificial ones and that's caused division and all sorts of evil but we need to come back to the source and go, this is not God's plan. God has never seen it this way and will never see it this way because God cannot change. There's one race. It's the human race. So why am I saying that this is a spiritual pandemic first and foremost? Because from the beginning of our time, from the very beginning of humanity's existence, we chose to play the role that was designed for only one person to have. And that one person is God. We decided to play the role of God. You see in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we see God creating the world. And in there, um, the tempter, the devil comes and he tempts Eve. And at the same time, tempts Adam and basically say, did God really say that you shouldn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And it's kind of suggesting that maybe God is withholding from them. And the whole concept of the tree of good and evil is basically saying, we are taking all of our cues from God because God alone is able to judge the difference between what is right and wrong, between what is good and evil. But Adam and Eve decided maybe God is withholding and they started to question God's character. And so they chose to take matters into their own hands and to eat of the fruit. And lo and behold, their eyes were open and they realized that they were naked. But who told them they were naked? And who was the determining factor that being naked was actually wrong? They did they started to determine what was good and evil, what was right and wrong. That was never our role to play. And ever since then, humanity has been building these social constructs based upon our conceived notions of what's good and evil. No longer taking our cues from God because he alone is the one who is to determine that. So ever since the very, very beginning, we've traded away the one thing that we so badly need today. We traded away the one thing in order to play God. And that one decision they made, and let's be honest, we make that same decision. We would have made the same decision that they had has caused the spiritual pandemic that we are living in now. What was that one thing they traded away? They traded away the ability and opportunity to be in a relationship with God and to grow in intimacy with knowing God. Where knowing him informs and influences everything in our lives. And we have been trading this away from day one. Let's look at some passages of scripture real quick. In Romans chapter one. In Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 25. I'm gonna read this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, pushing the things of God aside. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it. In other words, like we all know instinctively that there's a God. We just have to look at creation and natural order. And even if you believe in evolution, you still got to try to figure out what was the first cause of everything. And that first cause will always be God. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in which things have been made so that they are without excuse. Here we go, verse 21. For for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or gave thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. We exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Like, like just let that sink in from a, we exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Anything that is not of God is a lie that like, like he doesn't exist. Or maybe God is a lot like me, just a better form of me. Let me create God in my own image. Like that's all a lie. When we start to determine what is right and wrong, that's a lie. And we're exchanging this amazing opportunity to know him for this. And it's just caused havoc all over the world for all time. This is a spiritual pandemic. Exchanging the opportunity to know him. We were created to be in this relationship with God, to know him and to enjoy him forever, to grow in our love of him and to worship him, like to put our trust and our confidence in the character of who he is and then discover from that everything in life will eventually find its meaning and its purpose. We are to take all of our cues from him, to see everything as he sees things, to act as he would act, to love as he loves But because of our ancestors and even our insatiable desire to play God, we've been trading this for something so far less. And it just begets evil and sin and brokenness. Now, I know there's many of us. There's many of you, and I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I, I know it's there. We just don't believe in God. Many don't know who he is. Maybe you think you know who he is and you base your opinions of God based upon your experiences of life. You don't know his character. You don't know what really concerns him. You don't know if he even cares. This is why we are where we're at. And I'm excited to be in this series because we're talking about this. Like, What is God like? Like we need to discover his heart, his character, and discover that and go, oh my goodness, I can't believe that God is so holy and so loving, that even when I exchanged the truth of him, for I to despise him, to say, I no longer need you, that he came in his mercy, in his grace to reconcile me back to him. I, like We gotta remember and discover that heart of God again because folks, listen, the only true hope that we have in this world that can effectively deal with the evil in our hearts that produces the cultural pandemic that we are in is to know him. That's it. And here's the good news. He's not far away. We know he wants to be known because he sent his son Jesus. And he's given us his word. His word is this indication that he wants to be known. He wants us to come to him. He's always going to be the first mover. In fact, when we look at this, we, we begin to know God best, not by trying to dissect his essence. God is altogether different. He is incomparable. Like we, There's no one or nothing even close to him. We can never understand him and his essence, but we can grab a hold of who he is by looking at what he does. Jesus is forever going to be our best depiction of who God is. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 it says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. You want to know what God is like? This week, read and just ponder Matthew, Mark, Luke and John the Gospels and look to Jesus. Eternal life, Jesus said in John 17:3 is that they would know him knowing God, everything flows out of that. This whole sermon series is designed around Psalm 910 that says this, that those who know your name will put their trust in you. Now, I want you to think about that concept for a second because what goes into a name, right? When you hear someone's name, like isn't the immediate thought that comes into your mind is their character and their reputation? Like when you hear God, Like, what comes into your mind? Like, what do you think? What do you feel? Our whole goal in this series is to show you that God is worthy of all of your trust, of all of your confidence. He's made his character known to us because he knows that you can't place your trust in him if if you don't know who he is and he wants you to know him. And so he's made every possible way for you to know him. And we're going to talk about that this morning. So here's the question. This is the curveball, okay? Like I had a totally different message for this morning and here was the curveball that hit me midweek. And it was this thought of going, okay, How is this sermon series, how does this message specifically speak into what's happening today? Like, how does knowing God speak of a solution to racial reconciliation? Like, how does this relevant to my life? How does knowing God provide the solution? You know what? I am so incredibly glad you asked that. I I really am because I, I think I have an answer. Okay, like that's one of my really lame jokes. I'm going to trust you laughed. Or at least you're just now tweeting about, boy, my pastor's dumb. That's fine too. I want to to encourage you, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Okay? Ephesians chapter 2. And as we go through this passage, what I want you to do is not just look at all of the principles and the applications. I want you to take one step further. And I want you to ask this question, what does this tell me about who God is? is okay that like i don't want you to miss that like we can read this and go oh okay here's a principle and here's an application and here's a point but yeah that's great and all that but this is god's heart i don't want you to miss that i want you to be looking what does this tell me about god so ephesians chapter 2 i'm going to read the first 10 verses and you were dead In the trespasses and sins in which you once followed the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body in the minds, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is what it looks like when we trade the truth of God for a lie. We are under God's wrath. We are dead in our sins, hopelessly evil, Lost. Bad news. Verse four. Great news. But God And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, every single person, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk with them, in which by the church we go, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That is great news. And if we are honest, we oftentimes stop there because we love to be individualistic. We go, oh my goodness, this is great news for me. I was a sinner, and I was dead, and he saved me, and he loved me, and this is amazing. True, 100% true, but Paul doesn't stop there. We see the heart of God. We are, by nature, dead in our sins underneath the wrath of God because when we sin, God is just, and there's a penalty to be paid, and that's death, eternal separation from him. But God's so rich in mercy, he loved us, that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to have his blood shed and his body broken for us, to pay the price of our wrongdoing so that God's justice would be appeased and his mercy and grace would reign and we would be able to enter into this relationship with him. And we are like, yes, now we have this personal relationship. It's just me and Jesus, me and Jesus, and it's all great. True. But I want to be bold enough to say there's even better news. As good as that news is, Look at verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Again, bad news. Now he's speaking to a people. Now, this is important. Paul in the church in Ephesus, he's speaking, right, to both Jew and Gentile, and he's saying, like, hey, the Gentiles, you guys were in the flesh. Now, this is tough because, like, Brandon, didn't you just say that racism didn't exist in the Bible? This isn't a racist deal. This isn't racist. Like, like, there's the race of the Jewish people and there's the race of the Gentiles. That's not it. Those are human social constructs, but what we do see here is a real distinction and it's a covenantal distinction. It's not a racial distinction. Nowhere in the Bible is it saying that the Gentiles are inferior to the Jewish people or the Jewish people are somehow superior, more privileged than the Gentiles, even though it's easy to read scripture that way. But if we continue to read this, we're gonna discover that that is not the case. We are all of the race of Adam. There's only one race. Now think about this. All the way back to the very beginning of the Jewish people, we have to ask a question, was Abraham Jewish? Nope. He was pagan. Well, how did he become Jewish? Did God somehow in that moment when he said, I'll make you the father of many nations, that God somehow in that moment anatomically changed him? Changed his DNA and his genetics at the biochemistry level? Or was it based upon a promise that God made? Where his people, if you look at that story, was to be a blessing for all nations. It was a covenantal distinction. And that is a real distinction. The Old Testament is a shadow or foretelling of the things to come. So, ever since the very beginning, like even Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith, the father of our faith, right, our Christian faith, even, he wasn't a Jew. He, he was a Gentile. He became a Jew by an external symbolism of the circumcision, which was a covenantal significant deal. That's very important. So, remember, keep asking yourself this question what does this tell me about who God is? The real problem. Right here. Paul's even saying this here. Now, it's speaking to the Gentile and Jew scenarios. Like, the real problem is that you're separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant. Israel, like I said, was to be a blessing to all nations so that all nations could know them, but Israel failed at that. And we're going to discover that wasn't like Israel somehow were really close to God. Like all of a sudden they had it all together and they're like saying, God, could you speed up those folks so they can be like us, so we could be one. That's not the case. Let's continue reading. Verse 13. But now. This is no different than verse four. But God. Bad news at the individual level, verses one through 10, right? And now Paul's like, let's just talk about some people. Let's talk about people. But now. Now. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I got to pause there because this, this is a powerful image. Those who are far off, like you've been brought near. He's, he's speaking of the temple of God. In Israel, there was this temple and there was different courts in there. And in the middle of the temple was this little place called the Holy of Holies. That's where the presence of God dwelt. It was like the most holiest of places, that's where God's presence was. And the high priest could only enter there once a year, even after he had to make atonement for his own sin. And then outside of that, there was another place called like the holy places where the priests did their priestly duties. And then outside of that, there was like the court of the Jews. And that was even breaking down between like the Jewish men and the Jewish women. And the furthest out court was the the court of the Gentiles. Like those were the God fearing Gentiles. Like they were supposed to make this way. But over time, even the Jewish people started to create all of these hindrances and all these blockages and all these human rules and regulations on those Gentiles. They were at the outer court. They weren't able to come in. And so, like, Paul is saying, it's like, listen, you who've been far off, like, you who are, like, you know, alienated from Christ, strangers from the commonwealth of Israel, like, you, you're not partakers of this promise. Like, through Jesus, that is completely obliterated. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ don't allow a religious platitude just roll through your head all of a sudden. The blood of Christ, God himself who took on flesh, came here, put his body on that cross to be executed for you. This sacrifice that he made for the hum- all the world, for all time, declares forever the heart of God. You who are far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is great news. How were they reconciled? Only by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is sufficient for all things. Only by a sacrifice, nothing else could reconcile them to God. You can't add to it. Dare you ever add to the blood of Christ and the power of the cross? His sacrifice is more sufficient to bring them near, to bring you near, to reconcile you to God and to each other. And this is not just an airing out of grievances. This isn't like, you know, Jesus died and now we got the the Gentile people and the Jewish people and they're just going to talk about their differences. Like as important as that is, that's not what this is talking about. Because look at this now in verse 14. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace. What he did on the cross and how he conquered death and sin forever through the empty tomb settled the issue of race and differences and everything. It was the great leveler of all things where white and black and male and female and rich and poor all come to Jesus the same way. All come to know God the same way. He himself is our peace. He is our equity. He is our unity. He is our everything who has made both one. He's taken, God has taken the real distinction between two people, both part of the same human race where there's a covenantal distinction and said, we're one. One new humanity. He's broken it down, all of the systems, all of the walls of hostility, right? He, he made it, he broke it down through his body by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. It might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. That's the part I want to stop on right there. Because you're like, well, Brandon, it seems like he's just talking about the Gentiles. They're the ones that are far off. And Israel were the ones of the promise and the covenants. They were. But they can't have peace with God apart from the cross either. They had the promises and they have the covenants. And if you study the Old Testament, you will discover all that did was place a heavy burden of guilt, shame, and condemnation on them because they realized they were sinful. In order to be holy, they, they, it, they basically had to keep every single law holy and, and perfect and blameless forever. And they weren't able to do it. So it's not like you've got to become a Jewish person in order to be reconciled, or you somehow, a Jewish person, got to move over to being a Gentile. It's like, no, no, it's the cross. It's the cross. Those who are far away and those who are near. In other words, those who didn't have the promises in the covenant and those who had the promises in covenant. Listen, you're all in the same boat. You still exchange the truth of God for a lie. Regardless, we have stories after stories after stories of the evil caused by Israel too. Was there hostility between The Gentile world and the Jewish world, was there racism that existed there? (laughs) 100%. And we get to look at Jesus and how he dealt with that. Just for fun, at some point, look at John chapter 4. Jesus is going to go to Galilee, and usually Jewish people don't go through Samaria, because Samaria, those are Gentiles. And they even called them half-breeds, dogs, scum, They would take the long way around the journey to Galilee. They would not go through Galilee or uh, Samaria. Jesus directly goes through Samaria. And what's shocking is that a Samaritan in John's gospel is the first person to hear that Jesus is the Son of God. What does that tell you about God? What does that tell you about his heart? there was great hostility between those people. But now because of the gospel, that's gone. We first need reconciliation with God and only through the cross are we able to achieve reconciliation with each other because Jesus is our uniter. Galatians chapter three, verse 23 to 29. Galatians chapter three. Now before it came, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Now he's talking about those who are near. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Because it wasn't the upkeeping of the law and all the promises that would give them that. They weren't able to. They weren't able to. It had to be through Jesus. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized in Christ and have put on Christ. Now look at this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And I can't help but think, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons have Father Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you. It's Jesus who brought that together. This is great news. Verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 2. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit, to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are follow, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Four times in this short little passage, Paul mentions peace. He's our peace. He made peace, he preached peace to those far and those near, uniting us through the gospel. Reconciliation with God needs to happen first. And the gospel tells us clearly that your ethnicity, your race, if you will, does not and cannot exclude you from the love of God. It brings us to this mysterious level of being one. Together. As a family. As brothers and sisters. And if you ever go around the world to another church that loves Jesus, you know what it's like to be part of a family, even though you might like be in part, like for instance, here at Austin Oaks, we have a Hispanic service called Nueva Vida. I don't speak Spanish. I wish I could. I don't, I can't. But when I go up there, I feel like I belong because we have something that unites us. It's Jesus. I come to Jesus the same way they come to Jesus. I have evil in my heart just as much as they have evil in their heart. I need to be saved as much as they need to be saved. And we are one because of the cross. In church, here's the deal. We need to walk in this reality. This isn't just a platitude. This isn't just a little thing to make us feel good on a Sunday. This is part of our mission. And I want to be clear again. Racism exists and it's a big problem. It's an evil problem. And yeah, it should be confronted 100% in church. Listen carefully. We should be leading the way. Jesus led the way. And now we're his body. We should be leading that way. I want to to speak to the church for a moment. Okay? So, like, if you're watching us online and let's just say you, you don't follow Jesus. Listen, I'm going to speak to brothers and sisters in in the church, and I want you to listen in, though. I want you to eavesdrop, hold us accountable. I want to speak to the church for a moment. If this is who God is, if God loves all people, and God sent his son Jesus, to reconcile us to him, knowing that the only way for there to ever be peace was for him to come and to die on the cross and have his body broken, his blood shed, given for us so that we could have this relationship restored and then called us to love our enemies and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves and to do what he did and to walk in the ways that he walked and that we are to be known by our love like how can we be silent like how can we be silent with the gospel how can we not be shouting it from the rooftops jesus is it he is our peace this is the only solution The only solution. I mean, we got to remember for us, and I hope this series helps us, that your faith in your relationship with Jesus has nothing to do with you. It wasn't like you're some awesome person because you were born in this place, at this county, with that family, with this collar and that dollar amount. Like, It has nothing to do with you. He loves you because God is love. And he came and he saved us. And we have new life. Church, we are called in the Bible to be salt and light. But for what purpose, though? To annoy people? To tell people how wrong they are, how unlike them they are? Like I get it that people who don't know Jesus won't understand everything that we're talking about. But for us who believe in Jesus, we are the salt and the light and we are best at that when we show off Jesus and let people know that there is a way to be reconciled with God. And by that reconciliation, we can be reconciled to each other. So we should be the forerunners of getting to know people, mourning with those who mourn, grieving with those who mourn, rejoicing with those who rejoice, to tell people about Jesus at every moment and every occasion. I mean, we get these glimpses of heaven, right? If we look at Revelation chapter seven, like we get this glimpse of what heaven looks like and it's absolutely beautiful. After I looked and behold, this is this this image, this vision he has in heaven, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they're worshiping God. Why do we have to wait till then? Did Jesus not teach us, church, to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Is that not his wish and his desire? And should we not be about that? Should we not be praying for that? What does this tell us about God? Church, listen, we're told in Romans chapter 12 that we are to give of ourselves like our, we're to present ourselves as like this like sacrifice. This is our spiritual act of worship. And it says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Church, listen, whose voice are you allowing into your head and your heart in this season the most? Who's shaping your opinions? How is your worldview being dictated and determined right now? How are you coming up with your solutions and, and, and thoughts about what's happening in the cultural issues right now? Is it scripture or is it Fox? Is it CNN? Is it this politician? This politician? Is it TikTok? Is it Facebook? What is it? We're told, church, to no longer conform, but to have our minds renewed by his word. We need to know who God is. We need to know what God is like. And God is for all people. We need to be leading the way in reconciliation. And here's Here's what I wanted to do before we get into communion. Is I want us to read something in scripture because I don't know how the church can receive and celebrate communion without taking seriously the blood of Christ and without remembering God's heart for reconciliation. How can we come to the communion table and just ignore that reality. You're at the communion table because he chose to move towards you, to reconcile with you, with me. Jesus went to Samaria. He went to the Samaritan woman to reconcile. We should be Intentionally, moving forward to reconcile these broken relationships. That is not an option, church. And here's why I say it's not an option. And I know that's a bold thing to say, but I have every right to say it because this is what scriptures say. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Remember what we've been saying from the beginning. Ask yourself, what does this tell me about God? For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. What does all mean? Therefore, all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, like this is our perspective, church. This is how we should be seeing people. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We shouldn't be thinking in the way the world thinks. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Church, here you go. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. First and foremost, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We, the church, have been given the ministry of reconciliation, first and foremost, with God. First and foremost with God because it's only through this reconciled relationship are we able to have reconciliation with other people. But this is what we are to vote. He's been given us. We are his ambassadors and we are to be making God's appeal on his behalf to a lost and dying world. This is the part where I usually try to craft a conclusion that lands the plane real nice and wraps it up with a bow. I don't have one. Because I think, church, what we need to do is really to lament and grieve and be broken over the world and sincerely, truly repent of our neglect of our indifference. And to be people who pray, to be people who really take this message seriously, to really realize that God is reconciling the world to Himself, and we are the ones with that message, and we should be on the front lines regardless. It's an inward journey first, but we need to move forward to other people. And here's why I love. When we see God for who he is, when we see God for who he is, his presence makes it very clear who we are. We realize then that we're evil, we're sinners, we're broken, prideful and insecure, and he comes and loves and heals and restores And when we experience that, we want to tell people about Jesus. We want to love our neighbors. We want to love our enemies. We want to be salt and light. We want to be ambassadors for Christ Jesus. That's why we're in this series, because we have to be reminded of who he is. So as we come to the Lord's table, communion. This, this is the reminder for us. The display of God's heart on the cross. If you don't have the communion elements, you can feel free to pause it, go get your stuff, come back, unpause And I'm going to read for us 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And again, I just want you to think about the heart of Jesus. For I received from the Lord what also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Don't forget right now everything we talked about, what this achieved for us on the cross. This body is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup, the cup of wine. And he said, This cup is the new covenant, it's the new covenant where it's by faith, where the far off and those who are near, the real distinction that exists in human, humanity has now been torn down and we come to Jesus the same way. This blood is a reminder of the new covenant and he did this for us. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, church, let's take together. Father, I pray that through Your Spirit, God, I truly ask that through Your Spirit You would take my words and You would turn turn that into life giving words of hope and encouragement. Lord, would You turn the water into wine? I know there was a lot of thoughts, and I know my emotions were all over the place, and I know that we went through a lot of scripture and there's a lot of things that are there and there's a lot of emotion. But Lord, I know and I trust your spirit to speak to our heart in exactly the way we need to hear. Lord, I pray that those who don't know Jesus yet would see your heart. Even trying to find hope and some clarity and answers in all of the issues that are happening in our world, that they would get a glimpse of how you responded and how you are at work even now. And Lord, I pray that they would see you for the first time, that you made a way. You made a way for peace, for life, and for hope. And Lord, I pray for us as a church that this isn't a a moment where we just go, oh, that was moving, and move on, and think about those things. That was kind of nice. Yeah, I should do something. But Lord, I pray that you would not let us go Would your spirit convict us? Would your spirit break us? Lord, would it get us to his place where we do humble ourselves and pray and ask for your hand of healing and that we would get to a place where we would say like Isaiah said in chapter six, woe is me, I am done, I am undone and you came and you cleansed him and all of a sudden in that moment he heard the call who will go and he's like, I will go. Lord, may we go and tell people about Jesus and may the love of Christ be what compels us to move and to walk alongside our brothers and sisters in this world who are hurting, who are confused, who are angry, who are upset. May your love move us to grieving, to mourning, to lamenting, but not without hope, but with hope and to point them to Jesus. So Lord, speak to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen.